Hello everyone, welcome to the Desolation Sounds podcast. My name is Stephen Hook and this is a podcast celebrating everything to do within the world of alternative music, be that rock, punk, metal or extreme metal. Coming up on this week's show, all the latest news from the past seven days, including that from Slipknot, UFO and Leprous, all the new music from the likes of Pop, Death Heaven and Blind Guardian. Album reviews this week come from a sludgy hardcore mob, Aloof and... I was going to try and describe them, everyone knows who they are. Metallica, um, give them like one and a half albums this week. And open mic for this week is from the self-titled Z- Ow! Zokes! Fucking shit, I need a new desk. Um, yeah, and now I'm going about all the time Zokes, but unfortunately we do have to start with the news, and I feel like everyone by now has heard, but it is the very sad news that Keith Flint from The Prodigy has passed away of an apparent suicide. He was only 49 years old, um, and... I'm going to say it a lot, but it is a huge fucking shame for music in general. The Prodigy are such a unique fixture in electronic electronic music, excuse me, because despite having a sound that was so at home in um, nightclubs and raves and that sort of thing, um, across the 90s into like even today, you could probably still hear them in the right nightclub, they had an edge and an energy about them that was so punk rock and was so heavy metal that it there was that crossover appeal for those scenes and a lot of that was down to Keith Flint the an inverted mohawk that changed color pretty much every time he was on TV but the iconic one is that like bright green one lie he'd be headbanging he'd be crowd surfing just his general presence and how he carried himself on stage it got them it was the kind of presence that got them booked and welcomed onto the stages of download in 2012 and they were you know they were like for a lot of people they were the band that they went to see download for a lot of people you get that one band that you just want to see and just everything else in between for a lot of people in 2012 that was prodigy um, they completely outlived the rave boom of the 90s. You know, you've got Faithless, who are just known for insomnia. And that's it. They, you just don't hear about them that much outside of that. Um, everyone else from that scene has been forgotten as like an embarrassment at a time, like Scooter and DJ Sammy and all that crap. Prodigy, even now, are still revered so strongly and so highly today. Um with a like constantly good discography like all their albums are at least at least seven out of tens and that you just don't get bands like that you don't have bands who consistently have just top tier albums it is a huge shame and it's a huge loss especially considering the circumstances behind his passing um in the aftermath, there's already been lots of a lot better reviews and tributes to Keith Flint. The one that I really took away from, just like trying to grasp, because I'll be the first to admit, Prodigy, I don't want to go as far as to say I was a fan of Prodigy. Cause to me, I think considering yourself a fan of something is, like, I think fan is a big word. Um, they were, for me, a greatest hits band. I could easily listen to them, even if there was a song I'd never heard before, I would happily have it on. I listened to No Taurus last year. That was my first full Prodigy album. I thought it was really good fun. I remember 
Invaders Must Die came out roughly when I was like starting to get into music proper. And like songs like Invaders Must Die and Omen. The fact that Omen, it was, I think what, that album came out 11, 13? And within a couple of years, Crossfaith were already doing covers for it and exploding and going viral based on their cover of it. That's the sort of legacy that Prodigy had. The fact that they were still, even with their newer material, still inspiring people to cover them and put them on take on things. Yeah. Excuse me. It ta- it says a lot about the band, and yeah, I don't know what they do from here. Similar sort of situation to Lincoln Park. It is completely down to their decision. If they want to say we're going to give it up, then they're going to give it up. There's n- there's no way anyone can say otherwise. If they want to get a new vocalist in, I'm just continue on without. It's all down to them. But as I was saying before, if you the article that really made me aware of Prodigy was a piece by Marilyn Alderslade at Metal Hammer, and it goes into a lot better detail the kind of effect and aura Keith had, as well as Prodigy, and what made them so prevalent in the scenes of punk rock and heavy metal. So. Really recommend you go check that out. I'll try and post it up on various social medias later on today. But, excuse me, it is a huge shame. And for what it's worth, definite thoughts are with members of Prodigy and Keith Flint's family at this time. We will move on. We will press on and try to make light of what is very, very deeply sad news. Slipknot, well, well, start with Slipknot. Slipknot have confirmed a release date for the new album. It is coming out the 9th of August. It will be album number 6. As of yet, it is currently untitled. And there's no new music or surrounding it or anything like that. It's literally just been giving a release date. And it came on the back of their NotFest Roadshow announcement. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm not just the... Um, yeah, so NotFest Roadshow this year is going to be Slipknot with Volbeat, Gajira and Behemoth. Which is a fucking amazing lineup. Um... And yeah, I believe the announcement said something on the lungs of pre-order tickets now. Tickets are on sale on the March, whenever it was. Um, pre-order tickets and you get first access to the new album, which is out uh, 9th of August. So, new Slipknot by the end of the year. Always good times. I was not keen on Grey Chapter, but I really liked um, the new single that's out. Um, All Out Life? That's it, yeah. Um, I really, really enjoy that song. So if it sounds, if the album sounds along that kind of level, I will be mucho looking forward to it. Um, classic rock metal icons. My voice is really weird today. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, UFO may be about to split after a extraordinary fifty years of being a band. Um, it comes after the back of Phil Mogg, who is the vocalist, has announced that he is stepping away from the band and retiring altogether. I believe altogether. Um, a lot of outlets are treating this as UFO are going to call it a day completely. But at the moment, nothing's confirmed by them. It's just that Phil is leaving after the excuse me, current tour. He has been the longest serving member of the band. And he was there since the inception. And I think he's earned a retirement, I think. I he, I never got in on UFO, but I hear them spoken about a lot. So for 50 years worth of work, I feel like, yeah, he can, he can chill out for a while. Leprous have also entered the studio, also for album number six. Uh, drummer Bard Kolstad, I really hope I haven't butchered that, um, has spoken out 
about how the sessions are going and had confirmed he's already laid down the drums for half the record. Uh, we en- he says, we entered the studio to record drums for half the album last week with David Castillo at Ghost Ward Fascination Street Studios, the same studio we recorded the, first, the l- latest two albums. Um, feeling very good to leave drum recording for now, focus on the last half of the album to record in May. So I'm feeling that is a 2019 release and I can't wait. I fucking love Leprous. Um, for those who don't know, for those who are more into the extreme side of things, they have been the live backing band for Ishan for a number of years. The lead singer of Leprous, whose name escapes me, is the brother-in-law of Ishan, which is a fucking fun family dinner for them. Um, and I feel like one has... I think they've guested on each other's album quite a bit, or they've contributed here and there to each other's project. And, yeah, Melina... A couple of years ago, it was a fantastic album. Oh, God. I can see the album cover from the album before, but I can't think what it's called. It had um, The Price and things like that on Rewind. I think Rewind came before. Either way, really, really enjoy that press. I'm, it is renowned how shit I am with memory on there, but, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to a new Leprous album on the horizon. It's the niche of prog that I have loads of time for. Um, that's it for the news. New music... Oh, God, that's a bit of a... <clears throat> puberty new music this week comes in the form of pup they have released a music video to go with the song free at last and that's from morbid not morbid angels morbid stuff which i said about a few weeks ago it's coming out the 5th of april usual installment of fun punk rock uh the music video is really interesting so they gave out how they gave out the song structure like chords and everything a couple of months ago and basically said to fans record your own version of the song we're going to collate it together to make a music video and like our own version of the song blah 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 Really, really fascinating idea they went with, and the music video is just a bunch of people looking at the music and putting their own spin on it. You've got an opera singer, you've got people just on guitars, ukuleles, brass instruments. There's a group of three lads who are butt naked, because obviously. Um, and yeah, the song itself, like I said, fun punk rock, is really, really good. I'm looking forward to morbid stuff, and like I said, that's coming out the 5th of April. Completely other side of the spectrum, you've got Death Heaven with a new song, and it's called Black Brick. Uh, there's no album attached, no tours, files I'm aware, nothing like that. But it is absolutely ferocious black metal. Like, Death Heaven are known for being like quite sonically heavy anyways, but that's with a post-black metal sound. So it is like a big wall of sound and big like ambiance around it. This is just straight up blasting black metal. And it's fucking insane, really. Like... It would be insane on its own, but compare it to their back catalogue, it's just another beast, quite frankly. And, yeah, very, very fun. And I don't know what that's going to lead to, if it's just a one-off or whatever, but here we are. Oh, I'm just going to bleh everywhere. Uh, the only There actually is a new album that's been released for... That was weird. Pro Tools decided to hate me. Anyways, there is a new album that's been released for this for this week. Blind Guardian have announced Legacy of the Darklands. And they've done it well in advance. It's coming out the 1st of November. Um, it will be their 11th album. And it's going to be an orchestral album. With apparently some kind of big heavy album due next year. Um, I'm completely down for it. I... Mm-hmm. I like Blind Guardian. They still hold a soft spot for me when... or I hold a soft spot for them, I should say. For when I went through a big power metal phase um, many moons ago. Oh my god, it'll be over 10 years now. Good god. 
Um, and yeah, I'm not knowledgeable about orchestral music, but I can't say I don't like it. If it's done right, I'll happily sit there and listen to it. I know Dead Mouse did an orchestral version of his work I think last year. Listen to it, and it's the sort of thing where it's difficult to... Excuse me. It is difficult to sit down and listen to it from start to finish and like intently listen to it like you would any other album. But it is really good to have on in the background as you're doing other work and just create um, like a mood and a vibe for whatever you're doing at a time. So I'm kind of looking forward to this. I will I'd probably most likely give it a listen when it comes out. Um, but it's coming out the 1st of November, so we've got a fucking long way. So, moving on to album reviews this week. There is precisely one and a half albums this week because this week has been shit to me. So, we're going to start off with Aluth. And the EP is called Resentment. And it is an EP. Probably should have said that afterwards. Um, it is the third EP from the Brooklyn, New York Hardcore Collective. Um, they are a fucking proactive bunch. I went through and this is their 10th separate release overall since their inception in 2014. Um, and that includes demos, EPs, singles, albums, etc, etc, etc. I feel like when I went back through it, their second release was an acoustic album, which is maddening. Um, this is a hugely energetic hardcore album. Compared to the fact that I was listening to the Metallica album, which I get to in a bit, a lot this past week. Um, hitting this on and that opening energy of Lead the Way is fucking outstanding. Um, it's really big sound and earthy DB opening and end riffs. And I feel like hardcore punk can go sonically one of two ways. You've got the really visceral, evil, powerful stuff like um, Converge. And I know they're not, I know they're more power violence, but like nails and that kind of thing. You've got that end of it and you've all got more like a fun side. I'm using fun in inverted commas commas quotes whatever they are the more fun side of hardcore and that's every time i die and cancer bats it's got a bit more rhythm to it and a bit more bounce to it not quite i think bounce is the wrong word actually not to, because that makes it sound like new metally but you know what i mean you you can play cancer bats every time i die at a party and everyone will still get into it i feel like you can do the same to aluth at times like the sludgy sort of stuff maybe not but things that like lead the way and i believe uncertainty most definitely. Um, and certainly is on, along those same sort of line. It's got a really cool old school feel to it. I was looking through my music and I was kind of comparing it to like a Black Flag kind of thing or The Exploited. And I felt like I had a really interesting clean vocal break part of the way through it. Um, the best way I can describe it with the music and his kind of cleans I was going through and like again that more old school punk kind of like more like Agent Orange e. I'm not the biggest expert on Agent Orange, I'll admit, but that kind of it's still big sounding and very very punk rock in the background. But his voice is very clean cut and very controlled. I think is a best word I can think of. By yeah, Uncertainty was a really really fun song. Um, as was Lead the Way. Equal parts for the fun and lighthearted side of punk. You've got the big visceral um, sludge side of things. So, and 
the whole album is seeping with like big huge riffs and there's a couple on divine which track four that almost sound like it's bridging on the mathy side of things um cody hell who is the vocalist he's got some fucking amazing vocals through here um i do think he does a really good job and his voice is very very good for this kind of thing i don't know if it's him or joe paris who do the cleans on uncertainty but either way when it comes to the sludger side of thing cody is so cody has more like a higher register joe has a more low almost like death throttle growl and those two kind of vocals layered together and like coming at you is it's really brutal sonically um and it just it adds that more level of heaviness to what's already like quite heavy sound of music and of course everything's backed up by matt donovan's really really fun drum work um especially on ruin it's little things i feel like i've gone about a lot in the past couple of weeks but little things like every time there's a snare hit in between um lyrics in the chorus to ruin um every time there's a snare hit there's a stroke on the mute guitar and just the mute guitar with his snare hit followed by a fill by him it just really works well there's a little intricate and little interesting things like that in a more low-key band it's what's gonna in my opinion what's gonna make them more what's just gonna help uh what's the word i'm trying to think of grow their presence i can't think of the better word but grow their presence um the word is right there it's on the tip of my tongue but it's just gonna fuck off isn't it reputation hey there we go um yeah grow their reputation a bit just for little interesting things like that because then um, your viewers who know what they're doing and not me can look at it and go hey that was pretty fun why don't we listen to the whole song hey this whole song's pretty fun and then you are selling out wembley you're welcome lads um if you're a fan of Cantabats or Every Time I Die or even like the sludge side of things, I felt comparisons to High on Fire. I reckon you should go for this. It is Resentment. It is the EP from the band called Aluth. A-L-O-U-T-H. And again, opposite side of things. Metallica have a new album out which has gone kind of under the radar. It is a live album. It's a fourth live album and it's called Helping Hands Live and Acoustic at the Masonic. Um, it comes, it's the first show of the All Within My Hands, Helping Hands concert and auction at the Masonic in Los, in San Francisco, California. Oh, it happened on 3rd November and obviously mixing, producing, blah, blah, blah. It's been released a couple weeks ago. So there, the All, All Within My Hands Foundation aims to provide, this is, you'll be able to tell this is like a carbon copy from the website or something like that. Um, aims to provide direct support to community colleges to enhance their careers and technical educa education programs. These programs provide skills and services to students who are looking to enter a traditional trade or other applied learning program. Basically, money for people who want to just build their lives, build skills that they can earn money from, and yeah, just go off and live and flourish. Which is like Metallica are known for doing little charitable things here and there they've participated in a lot of charity concerts and that sort of thing and they did live Aid a few times a few times and they did live Aid once um and i had a whole list of them and they were in my head now they've gone because memory but either way they they are i feel like they are known for their charitable contributions over the time and 
Yes, and the night in question, um, the concert at the Masonic, it was effectively a greatest hits track list. There we go. Greatest hits track list in an acoustic format, interspersed with um, some cover songs that Metallica are becoming well known for. Just look at Garage Inc. and how it inspired many people to get into music and just to help them discover loads of really, really good punk bands. And, yeah, either way, they are not adverse to talking about their inspirations either. So they've always talked about how New Age of British Heavy Metal meant a lot to them. They've got Nazareth in here in Deep Purple. There's also a cover of Bob Seger and... I can't remember. No, it was Nazareth. Oh, I can't remember who does Please Don't Judas Me. I'm going to Google it as I'm carrying things on. No, that was Nazareth. Fuck me. Um, the opening song was... It kind of caught me because I had to go through a few times and like figure out what the song was, compare it to the original, and find out what it was. Veterans of the Psychic War. Blue Oyster Cult. Blue Oyster Cult, of course. As if I didn't already know that. So it opens with Disposable Heroes, and that is... Like, I know what Disposable Hero sounds like. It's a very fast-paced, very thrash male. It comes from uh, Master of Puppets, so it's going to sound thrash AF. I can't believe I just said AF. But because it's more suited for this more acoustic kind of thing, it sounds worlds different. Um, I remember watching an interview with James Hetfield. I don't know if it was on the DVD or what, but for S&M, Metallica purposely chose songs that fit that classic music mould. Um, a lot of that was down to the effect Cliff Burton had back in the day. And um, just songs, teeth, like James and Lars and I guess to a lesser extent, Kirk and Jason Orfell would fit that like orchestral backing. Whereas with a song like, with this kind of thing, instead of trying to find songs that are already acoustically minor or can be easier or easily transferred into a more acoustic setting. They completely reworked Disposable Heroes, and because it's Metallica, because it's James Hetfield, because it's Lars and Kirk and now Rob, of course it fucking worked. And of course it still sounds amazing. It just takes... I feel like it was an interesting choice to open with that. I probably... If, if I was in Metallica, I would have chose to have something a bit more recognisable to open proceedings. Like, it took a while for it to click that this was actual disposable heroes. Um, but nevertheless, it still worked like a fucking dream. Went into One of Blind Men Cries by Deep Purple. They've covered before for a Deep Purple tribute album. Still sounds good as fuck. Song number three is my favourite Metallica song. Potentially my favourite song of all time. They did a cover of, well, they did a version of The Unforgiven, complete with a solo, which even on a electric electro-acoustic guitar still sounds Fucking mental. Sorry, tea break. Um, and yeah, I love everything about that song. When I was... When I was just a little girl. When I was in year... It must be in year 10, so what's that? 15. Um, I really wanted... I was thinking about like what tattoos to have in the future. I really... like Everyone has the... Well, at least at some point, everyone's thought about getting a lyric tattoo on them. 
and I loved all of the Unforgiven so much that I couldn't decide which lyric to get. So at one point I was going to have the entire Unforgiven lyrics tattooed on my back because I was that devoted to this song. I still am. I don't want to get the whole like lyric sheet on my back though. I have moved on from that, but Unforgiven still stands as a fucking phenomenal song for me. And it's a shame because for the first half of the album, there are so many audio issues and you can hear James getting increasingly frustrated with it. I don't know whether it's because of the audio issues that he's got, whether he like, because obviously performers, they hear everything slightly different to what the crowd hears so they can keep it time with everyone else. I don't know if it's because of that or whatever reason, but during points of turn the page, he did sound quite strained in his voice, and it did sound like um, he was struggling a bit. I think by the time of, and you, at the end of every song, there's like a bit of banter between, a bit of communication between James and everyone else, and he does state in that on multiple occasions, and I think in, halfway through one of the songs, you can just about hear him say, like, change this or change that or this isn't working, that's not right. So he is still the massive perfectionist. Um, but I think by the time Bleeding Me came around, everything seems to be sorted. Bleeding Me sounded incredible. Um, Veteran of the Psychic Walls, which was the Bloister Cult song I had to Google a minute ago. That's like a really catchy song. I think it does do really well on the acoustics. Um, large joke that Sorry, James was joking that it was his last favourite song, or one of. Um, tried to get him to do um, vocals for it, but not quite. And that was something that I really, really appreciate in this. Because it's a lot more um, personal performance this time. A bit more, like, smaller compared to the arenas and stadiums they're used to playing. There was a lot of heartwarming banter between members of the band and even with the crowd. So you've got like James Golding Glass to try and sing Veteran of the Psychic Wars, making fun of his eight clown at the start of every single song, interacting with the crowd and supposed that they've got like chairs and tables and this kind of thing. It was, even after all these years, they can still have fun and James has got such like a, such a dumb sense of humour and it is really, really cool to hear. Um, final third of the album had some really interesting choices actually. So... It's the fact that the, the charity is called All Within My Hands. I feel it's understandable that they had to do the song All Within My Hands from St. Anger. But it's still a weird choice. Like, if you think of anything from St. Anger, probably wouldn't be my first choice. I'm surprised there's anything from St. Anger at all. I know it's become a bit of a meme and starting to become a bit of a cult album. I know, I really enjoy it. Probably wouldn't have been the first one for me. I imagine they're all pretty happy they didn't decide to call the charity Dyer's Eve, else they might have all just perished. Um, and from there, they, like, in the Sandman, which is the obvious one, it sounds great still. Into the Force Ho Four Horsemen, which, again, was a strange choice, you think. Killing Ball was a very speed metal album, very, very fast-paced. Translated quite well to um, acoustics, almost like bluegrass, that more fast-paced kind of thing. Um, kind of what the Native, Native Howl are going 
quote unquote viral for. Um, I think it just sounds like bluegrass, but they are assistant. It's bluegrass means thrash metal, but what do I know? But yeah, they like I said, Four Horsemen worked really well. It ended up becoming more of a bluegrass sort of song. The end with Hardwired. I think out of the without knowing too much about um the cover songs, apart from Turner Page, I've got the original of that. Um and outside of um Nothing Else Matters. I'd say Hardwired probably remains as faithful to the original more than any other song on the album. It still has the double kick, it still has like the fast paced riffs. And it wouldn't have been, if they had to choose a song from Hardwired to Self Destruct, that would not have been my first choice. I think Dream No More or Halo on Fire are possibly better suited for this kind of setting or this kind of aesthetic. Um, Murder One would have been like an easy, slipping in an easy Lemmy tribute, but that's just a cynical side of me, I guess. But they still made Hardwired sound fucking unreal. It's like I said, it's surprising how close to the original it sounds. Everything's been else being quite chill, even like the more slightly faster paced songs like Disposable Heroes, they rework it to be a bit more calm and collective, where this was more straightforward. What if we just played the song but on different guitars? And yeah, I thought it worked really, really well. Overall, I thought the performance was really, really fun. Um I know there's a lot of people who go nuts about the grunge unplugged series from MTV back in the day. And fair play, when it's stuff like this you can kind of understand why they were so popular back in the day. Um and it just goes to show how good Metallica are at expanding the sound and showing how progressive they are. Like you look at albums like And Justice for All or the Black Album or like the more obvious ones like S and M and Lulu. Yeah, Lulu wasn't great, but if you are not experimenting after thirty years of being a band, what's the fucking point? Like they've made a movie. They are not there's a reason why Metallica are known by everyone and why they can headline any festival that they're booked at and draw in huge numbers. Because they're not just playing by numbers. And this isn't a dig at any band in particular. Um, but they are... Like, metal fans are so... Fickle and so pernickety. Like, they want change. But they want the bands to stay the same. And as soon as they do one or the other, they attack them. Metallica did... Like, they stayed the same. They had, like, the thrash metal part. Then they had, like, the more heavy metal, hard rock kind of thing. And they were constantly bolstering the sound they made a symphonic metal album they made an experimental art album they made an album which still is in the billboards with a black album i feel like it's got a, a staggering statistic it's never left the billboard i feel like it's something in like the top 10 or something bizarre like that because people are still going for this album still going for this music and i think it's just a testament that like people often i've seen the argument a few times like who's the bigger band iron maiden or metallica Maiden have been doing, they get like huge stage shows and this sort of thing, but they've been doing the same, excuse me, the same thing for 30, 40 years. Metallica, I've been going for not as long, I don't think, but are doing so much more and having so much bigger presence worldwide. And I feel like as a, as a Brit, I should be siding with Maiden, but Metallica all the way.
for the fan for fans of part, if you don't know who Metallica are, I feel like you've hit the wrong podcast. But like I said, the only comparison I have was Native Howl. But then if you like Native Howl and you want it to hit done better, look for this. It's kind of difficult to get hold of. There's only been a vinyl pressing and I think a digital download. Find a digital download or find some stream online. Support the artist though. Um, and yeah, this is a nice album to have on. Which I know is like, we're not, we're not supposed to say nice. My English teacher would fucking beat the shit out of me. But yeah, it's an, it's just an easy album. And then and sometimes that's what you need. So like I said, this week was a bit manic. So it is only like the one and a half albums for this week. But I will not leave anyone. Anyone. All ten of you. I will not leave you lacking. Um, there will be a, well, there is a surprise open mic. And it is coming from an album that I go on about way too often. And it is by Zokes. It is self-titled. Zokes is spelled S. S no. Z. I can't spell. Z-O-A-X. There we go. Uh, came out in 2016. And this is their first and only album from the London mob. And they play a very intelligent brand of post-hardcore. Um, the lineup for this album was... So you had Andy... Uh, Andy, fucking hell. Adam... Uh, I promise English is my first language. Adam Carroll from Time is a Thief on lead vocals. You had Doug Wotherspoon from Atlas and the Bowery, as well as Sean Weir on guitars, although Wotherspoon would leave shortly after the album was released. Um, Joe Copgut of Rise to Remain and Axwood on bass, and then Jonathan Rogers of Burn Down Rome and Air Castles on drums. Uh, before the release of the self-title, they had two EPs out. And that was the 13 EP in 2014. And is everyone listening from well, the EP as well? From 2015. And this is all from their 2013 Inception. The creative range on this album is nothing short of outstanding. Um, there is a dirty, excuse me, dirty, gritty kind of heaviness juxtaposed with such delicate intricate melodies um that's carried on there's no one member of the band you can put it down to it is a collective effort of this bounce between sometimes it's soft sometimes it's brutal um and sometimes you've got like harsh vocals over the top of melancholy and sometimes you've got really softly spoken vocals over top of like quite intricate hardcore riffs and it breaks away from any like genre stereoty- genre stereotypes that may exist to the point where a lot of people that I've been reading online dub them a UK version of System of a Down. Which is pretty high regard, I'd say. Um, the opener and lead single is a song called The, Bla- the Bad Blood. Um, a lot better than Taylor Swift's version. Da-dum-t. Um By Carol's own words... He described it as safe Zokes, which alone, it's kind of hard to think what that means. In the context of the album, it makes so much sense. Um, I think this is the most streamlined song from the album, with the possible exception of Good Times. Um, 
But Bad Blood still possesses sharp, really punchy riffs nestled between soft, almost like boy band-like breaks throughout. Um, it's the next song, Devil Dance, where you sh- you can hear Adam's full range. And he's got such a unique voice, which I think is quite rare. Usually with artists, or with singers, sorry, when they start singing, you can say, oh, that part properly came from, that reminds me of this band, or that part reminds me of this singer or this guitarist. Um, it's so rare to have a voice where you can say, like, you know what, I can't compare him or her to anyone. Which, you know, Adam does really well here. He's got a very, like I said, very unique and very individual kind of voice. And the song Devil Dance in itself is a very mellow post-rock song in the verses before the courses are just shrieked in by Adam and just a pummeling um, attack and abuse of why so serious over and over again. It's like a if the Joker were, could be any more schizophrenic, it would be. It would sound like this. Um, Roses All The Way is a fantastic, huge-sounding uh, math rock-inspired anthem with um, lead and... Well, lead, rook, and hiff. Hiff? What the fuck is a hiff? Lead, riff, and hooks. Uh, sound like they belong in like old 80s video game cartridges. Um... There's no better way to describe it than just like weird little fiddly diddly stuff. The sort of stuff that I lambast prog rock for, but it sounds really, really good here because why not? Um, and it's all carried along by some really great rolling drum beats from uh, John Rogers. They play with that big arena rock sound quite a few times in the album. The most um, eye-catching examples I can think of is in Good Times, which I mentioned before. Uh, there are times where it sounds more like a pop-punk song, if I'm honest. Uh, not a bad thing. Fucking sounds great, this song. It's a real feel-good song. Um, in amongst that, there's, mem- there's moments on the song which are very dark. And I'm about to talk about another one in just two seconds. But with good times, it is very summer-listening, easy-going kind of thing. Um, the song I was alluding to was King, of- King and Queen. This has still that big arena rock sound to it, but... There is a much darker feel to it. It's hard to put your finger on it. The progression on the vocal execution um, or vocal delivery on the chorus is really, really well done. Starts off as almost nonchalant cleans and then with each line just gets gradually more and more abrasive until um, the big chorus. Superheroes um, brings in a lot of that math rock from the album. Um, it's drowning about, there must be about 101 different riffs and hooks on the song. And when you see bands like Tiny Moving Parts, and this isn't an attack against Tiny Moving Parts at all, I in fact really, really like that album from last year. Um, when you hear bands like that doing the same sort of thing, that sort of like plinky plonky, fiddly diddly kind of riffs, oh, I need to find more adjectives. Um, when you hear bands doing that, it makes knowing Zokes aren't around anymore that all that more difficult because they're doing it and they're getting a lot of recognition and they're getting a lot of support and quite rightly so. But Zokes, it kind of felt like they had a very... I, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now and they had so many people and sources review the album, but no one 
like a very very few people still talk about Zokes. I think the only person I've heard in the past like two years or so talk about Zokes outside of myself was Stephen Hill from The Right Act. And it's it's just depressing. It's just heartbreaking when you think about it because this album. There are times on the album I won't say getting emotional because that's the wrong word. And being trying to be goth as fuck if you don't have emotions. Trying to like listening to this album back, you do get just this. It's hard to describe. It just feels shitty, the fact that you'll listen to this album knowing that it's very unlikely that an album two will ever exist. And they they kind of got failed by the music industry back when they exploded and should have been like revered as the next big UK rock band. Um like when you go back into like back onto the album like a song like mirrors it has like a dark evil like deftones vibe to it if def- if this was like a superhero movie deftones would be the hero and mirrors would sort of be like the nega deftones or like the evil incarnate version of deftones it's a very slow methodical riff and drum beat and that's on the back of Carol's low, slow delivery, which is very, very Chino-esque. And then eventually when it gets to the chorus, it's this big vocal explosion. And then, um, yeah, it's just the rest of the song sort of like bounces between that like low drum and the big exploding. Exploding? Yeah, sure, why not? And just about when you think Zokes have covered pretty much every genre there is to cover. There's a lot of math, uh, math rock in here. There's post-rock, um, post-hardcore, alternative rock. And you think they've tackled pretty much every other time signature that they could possibly go for. They break out a song like Alive and Sound, which is post-hardcore blended with kind of blues sort of music. And it is slow, swaggering music that's just I felt like it was so seeping with attitude. Like if this song was a person, it'd be some cocky teenager just out of sixth form wearing a leather jacket telling me that I'm an idiot for going to uni. Which might be true, but that's not the point. It's just this very like, slow, like I said, swaggering kind of song. And yeah, I just can't, it's hard to describe, but I feel like it's got such an attitude behind it. And the whole album finishes with a song called but it's pronounced slan. Uh, it is a. It brings back the melancholy and like the post rock sort of stuff from Devil Dance before building back up um, the band sound piece by piece by piece. And that was a really, really cool way they did it. They didn't just get everyone to explode in once. It was just Adam and the guitars, then it eventually joined by the drums and second guitars and bass and everything just like. It was the slow build and the slow burn into this really, really big beautiful gang vocal climax and the like after all that happens and after this pace is a slow it's this very quiet very atmospheric just ambiance i guess you could describe it and that ends the album and it is poetic that the word slan means goodbye in irish and it 
I won't say Ruth because he it's not Ruth, it's just who he is. Adam Carroll is a... Mm, I want to make sure I get this right. That is the wrong Adam Carroll. I want to say he's Northern Irish. No, he's not. He's just Irish. He's just Irish. He's, mm. I had a 50-50 chance. And I know that's a very... That's not a thing you want to get wrong. I'm being kidding getting that wrong. And some big kid always beat the shit out of me. Um, slan means goodbye in Irish. Which is evilly poetic for what would come after this album. So, as I said at the top of the review, um, Doug Wallaspoon would leave the leave the band shortly after the album's release. And then, just over a year later, in December 2017, the band would split altogether. Um, in a statement released on their Facebook page, it says, it's been just over a year since we played our last show, and after a lot of soul-searching, we've decided to, call it, to officially call it a day. We want to thank everyone who has been involved with the band's journey, members, management, tour friends, and most importantly, anyone who ever came to a show, bought a shirt, or gave us five minutes of their time to listen to one of our songs. This was an incredibly heartbreaking decision for us to make, but we are all just in a we're all just currently in positions of wanting to move on to new things in our lives. We hope our records and show memories stay with you forever. And as I was saying before, well, <sighs> It's been hard to try and find out what the band have done since. Um, a lot of them still have that they they are a member of Zokes in the Twitter bios, but then a lot of them haven't been active online in at least two years. The only one I can see who's active is Adam, and it still says Zokes in his bio, but predominantly he has started his own podcast called Geek is a God and it's with his two friends um, Adam and Gary excuse me and they do like tech and video game reviews and that kind of thing none of them as far as I can tell have been musically active since the collapse of Zokes and so the album stands as a blip in time and is almost forgotten which is a damn fucking shame because it exists in a time where what well, like gonna lead to a minute ago. It exists in a time where music, defense against the UK music scene wasn't as strong as it is now. Like you look at some of the um, bands from today, you've got things like Marmosets, Milk Teeth, Black Peaks, Conjurer, Puppy. They are revered and they're almost protected because they've got constant, really strong support, whether or not that's from reviewers, um, critics, fans, other bands. They are so, I don't want to say help because I feel like that takes away from what they've done. They've done a lot of the hard work themselves, but they do, there is a more, there's a better and a stronger network now for up-and-coming UK talent. Whereas back then, it kind of felt more like, oh, we should do this, but kind of thing. If that makes sense. Um, there's a lot of, there's a few bands from this era that I can think of. The ones I wrote down, including Zokes, were The Defiled and kind of Hawkeyes. I think Hawkeyes are like teasing something at the moment, but Hawkeyes, I think you could even put Max Raptor in that um, list. I know they are still active, but I feel like they didn't get enough of a reputation that they deserve. Same sort of thing with Feed the Rhino. 
you've got all these bands who are doing who were doing such great things and if they were to come through now palm reader's another one palm reader that took them what's that four albums to get a moderate recognition for braille whereas like i'm guilty of it myself i like kind of i got dribs and drabs on the last three albums but they are a talent that deserve that came out around this time and deserved more support and more eyes on them. And I don't know whether that's because I, when all these bands were coming through, I don't know if it's just because I was very young or well, younger than I am now. I wasn't didn't have the kind of money to go out and support them myself or didn't have the right, wasn't looking at all the right sources for new music and who support and whatever. But I feel like if a band like Zoke's or the Defile, the Palm Raider, Hawkeyes, or any of those other bands that I mentioned, if they were to break now, they would be rubbing shoulders with the likes of your Black Peaks, your Conjurers, your Puppies. But it's just how it is. It is, like I said, it is a huge shame. If you, like I said, I've gone about this album a lot. If you would like to, like, for comparisons, I thought of the Marmosets, um, Alexis on Fire and even Biffy Clyro more earlier end um, early to mid end so sort of what's that puzzle and early revolutions that kind oh my god just punched my pop shield and I can't think what the album's called but the one that came before early revolutions that era where they were still more of a alternative alternative rock band as opposed to a mainstream alternative rock band that's not taking Biffy Clyro but I feel that's the best way I can describe them that kind of thing. Um, so that, Alexis on Fire, Marmosets. If you're just a fan of interesting music in general, same as what I was saying about Black Peaks last year, if you just like interesting, really intricate, thought-provoking music, I feel like you should give Zokes a jolly good go. And, yeah, it remains to me one of the bands I feel like music fans kind of failed along with The Defiled and depending on what happens like with Hawkeye because like I said I know they are teasing something depending on what happens to them I'll throw there in there as well but either way it has not been a happy show this week and that makes me sad um, on the back of the news of Keith Flint and then the sad blame for the demise of Zokes but either way I hope you have enjoyed this week's episode, as ever, if you want to get in contact with me, I'm on any social media apart from MySpace and Bebo at Desolation Pod. Next week, I think I'll finally get round to reviewing Supruga, which is a Russian hardcore band that I've been I've been holding off them for the past two weeks to review on the show because I've been really, really enjoying it. But I want to make sure that I've enjoyed them right. Like, first time I listened to the album, I thought this might be album of the year. And I don't know if that's just, just first interpretations, but I want to make sure I give it my full time. Because there's a lot going on that album. It's a very abrasive attack. But there will be Supruga. Um, what else should we do? I think open mic album is going to be The Damn Things with uh, Iconoclast. And all the other usual excitement from myself and the Desolation Sounds podcast. But until then, I will speak to you soon and goodbye.